The Adam Crowley Show. What happened to Cooch? I don't know how many times I'm allowed to say Cooch before I get in trouble, so you're fine. I'm good? That's K-U-C-H. Yeah, nothing wrong with Cooch. No! Adam Crowley. Cooch be good. I love Cooch, in fact. On ESPN Pittsburgh. It's a big day for me. I learned something about myself. It's that I can't buy an entire tub of hummus and expect it to survive the day. If I buy hummus, I'm eating hummus. Now I smell like hummus. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Brian LaMartina sitting across from me. Shirtless Tom behind the glass. Check them out on Twitter at FBomber73, at ButtonPusher970. Tell your kids, tell your wife, we're doing radio up in here. Your Pittsburgh Steelers are 0-0-1. That is a bad start as the team that they tied is having their best start since 2004. That's right. The Cleveland Browns, with a tie, are off to their best start in over a decade. That tells you just how bad the start is for your Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers went 6-0 in the division last year. 0-0-1 already. In the division this year. I know you're all fed up with the Le'Veon Bell storyline. I am too, but it doesn't mean it's not worth talking about. Le'Veon Bell, not surprisingly, I suppose, not at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex today. He was not there yesterday. His return up in the air. I want him back by week eight. In fact, if it is week eight, you get him. I think you're happy about that. I worry about James Conner's health. A fresh Le'Veon could make all the difference in a bitch of a second-half schedule. And that's what the Steelers have. Carolina. New Orleans, who could put up a bunch of points. New England. It's tough. If you've got a healthy and a fresh Le'Veon Bell for the second half of the season, I think it'll make a big difference. I think it makes sense for Bell, too. Bell's going to want to ensure that the Steelers don't screw him on the roster exemption even when Bell returns. Even after Bell has signed the franchise tender, the Steelers could put him on a two-week roster exemption, and if he shows up in Week 11 to play the final six games, the Steelers can say, F you, man. You're screwed. We're going to exempt you for the next two games. You're not going to have a full season accrued under the CBA. And we can do this all again next year. So if you're Bell, you make sure that doesn't happen by showing up in Week 8. And if you're the Steelers, you're happy because even though James Conner's a good player, you can never have too many good players. I still believe greatly that Bell's a better player than Conner. And you win championships with all pro players. The Steelers likely wouldn't use the roster exemption. I don't think that they'd do that. But if you're Bell, you can't take that risk. If you're Bell, don't you want people thinking that you are the reason the Steelers' running game goes? If you're Bell, doesn't two more weeks of James Conner tearing it up 
make you a little bit nervous too. So if I'm Bell, I come back week eight. If I'm the Steelers, I welcome him back with open arms. And you hope that James Conner can be healthy until then. I'm still worried about that. Ray Fittipaldo of the Post-Gazette going to join us in 15 minutes to talk Steelers. Dale Lally will join us at 6 o'clock. Steelers' offensive line is no joke. Some twidiots, and again, the national media, they thought the O-line rubbed it in Bell's face with their celebrations. First of all, if they did, who cares? The guy no-showed. The guy lied. The guy kept his motives hidden from the guys who were supposed to be his friends. So if they did rub it in Bell's face, I don't give a rip. But I don't think that they did. They were cheesed up for their guy, the guy who is here, James Conner. And they have something to prove as well. They believe that Le'Veon Bell is successful in large part because of what they do. And I thought they did well on Sunday. Yes, Ben Roethlisberger was sacked four times. Yes, two of those led to fumbles, but I think a lot of that had to do with Ben Roethlisberger holding on to the ever-loving ball for way too long. Ben isn't who we think he is. The Steelers' red zone percentage the last decade is 15th in the National Football League. Does that sound right for a team that boasts to have one of the top five quarterbacks in the game? How about the last decade points per game? Where do you think they stack up? How's 13th sound for you? As good as Ben Roethlisberger is, and yes, he will be in the Hall of Fame one day, he's not one of the elite, elite quarterbacks in this league. Tom Brady's teams, perennially top five in red zone percentage, top five points per game. Drew Brees' teams, perennially top five in red zone percentage, top five in points per game. Aaron Rodgers, red zone percentage, points per game, top five. When Peyton Manning was the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, top five and top five. That's what elite looks like. There's a line in the sand. Ben Roethlisberger has never been as good as those guys. And the question is, do you feel confident that he can win you more games than he'll lose you now this year? I don't want to overreact. But I don't think it's all about this year. I think it's about the last decade where Ben Roethlisberger has been pretty darn hit or miss. Now it comes out from the Mike Tomlin press conference that Ben Roethlisberger's got an elbow injury. Shocking. Dale Lolly, others of his ilk, guys like me, we were all critical of Ben Roethlisberger last year because he wasn't playing well and he wasn't practicing on Wednesdays while he wasn't playing well. Now he's got an excuse. I'm not saying it's not a real injury. I'm not saying I have anybody tipping me off that this guy's faking it or milking it. But he does have an excuse this week to be limited in the early going practice-wise. This roster has been built around Ben. But guys like Rodgers, guys like Brady, they don't need the roster built around them. They make the roster go. There's a difference between the upper echelon and where Ben Roethlisberger is. The Browns tie counts as a loss in my book, one that I put almost squarely on the shoulders of good old number seven. How about Al Riveron? This guy. This guy makes me want to puke. That drives me crazy. He says that the referee got it wrong in the Miles Garrett roughing the passer call. But he didn't say anything about the ball bouncing off of a Cleveland Brown 
on the punt return. They didn't say anything about that. I kind of like the roughing the passer calls. I know that makes me unpopular. I know that makes me a namby-pamby. I know that that makes me annoying, a snowflake, a millennial. But I want to see quarterbacks stay healthy. Aaron Donald last night was called for roughing the passer when he crawled into the legs of Derek Carr. And a lot of people said, oh, it's ticky-tack. The broadcaster said, what's he supposed to do? Here's what you're supposed to do. Not crawl into the legs of a quarterback. The Sunday night football game becomes unwatchable if it's the Bears versus the Aaron Rodgers-less Packers. It becomes unwatchable. A game that I have zero interest in. Even if it's Khalil Mack, even though they've got Roquan Smith, even though it's Mitch Trubisky, I'm not interested unless Aaron Rodgers is playing. I want to see good football players, good quarterbacks, play the game. I want to see good quarterbacks, good football players, stay healthy. And if the roughing the passer calls make a defender think twice before driving a quarterback into the ground or taking out his knees a la Kima Von Olhoffen, I'm for it. People want to point to kneeling down during the national anthem as a reason that people are leaving the game of football. I think that that's overstated. You want people to leave? I don't think the abundance of flags is going to make people leave. No, I think that quarterbacks getting hurt makes people want to watch something else. If Ben Roethlisberger plays, we're all going to be hostage to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We will all watch those games. But if Brady goes down, I don't give a rip about the Patriots. If Aaron Rodgers goes down, I don't give a rip about the Packers. If Matt Stafford goes down, I don't care about the Lions. Name any starting quarterback in the league. They go down, they're a star. The backups usually don't get it done for me. Now, if Nate Peterman goes down, okay. I can get behind watching Josh Allen get in a football game. But you have to protect the faces of this game. And as good as Khalil Mack is, as good as Aaron Donald is, if those guys go walking down the street, nobody has an idea of who they are. If Aaron Rodgers walks down the street, my wife's trying to kiss him. If Jimmy Garoppolo walks down the street, I'm trying to kiss him. I know who these guys are. I don't buy it that you know who the defensive players are if you are a casual football fan. Protect the guys people go to see. I think sports is getting away from casual fans driving the games and saying, I want to watch this guy play, I want to watch this guy play. I don't think it happens anymore. When it does, it's for quarterbacks. When it does, it's for the Bradys of the world. It's for the even the Cam Newtons of the world. You want to see them in their prime. Hall of Famers. Philip Rivers would make me want to go watch a football game. You have to protect them. And yes, I'm a sissy. Yes, I'm a snowflake. Yes, it's namby-pamby. I don't think that these roughing the passer calls ruin the game. I think those players getting hurt, that ruins the game of football. 412-922-2874 is the number. You can tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Last night really slapped the point into my head. Matt Patricia on the sideline wearing a hoodie. He thinks he's Bill Belichick 2.0. He's got this huge beard. He's got a stupid-ass pencil on his ear, even though he's supposed to be wearing headphones on his ear at the same time. It looked ridiculous. He does not look NFL head coaching material. And his team, well, they followed suit. But the point is, everybody that stands next to Bill Belichick gets a head coaching job at some point. 
If you are a Bill Belichick assistant, at some point you are getting a job in the NFL as a head coach. You are going to be a dude running an organization. You're going to be a CEO, and everyone's going to think you're a genius because Bill's the genius. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. These franchises are raking in all kind of money. And instead of going through a hiring process where they think, oh, you're a free thinker, oh, you're outside the box, oh, you might have something new to add, here's a wrinkle here, here's a wrinkle there, you hire the guy that's standing next to the guy that we all know is great. Why do we just assume that that makes you good? I could sit in with Howard Stern for a year, and I would learn some things. It would help me. It doesn't make me as good as Howard Stern. Hanging around Bill Belichick doesn't make you as good as Bill Belichick. Case in point, Matt Patricia's squad got blowed up last night. Wow, was that nasty. Bill O'Brien's got a 477 winning percentage in the NFL. Nick Saban in the NFL, not good, 469 winning percentage. Eric Mangini, 413 winning percentage. Josh McDaniels, 393. And here's the creme de la crenelle. Romeo. 337 winning percentage. Hey, he's best friends with Bill Belichick. He's got to be a great coach. No. No, he's not. I didn't even bring up Charlie Weiss, who you could probably smell from wherever you are. That's a big puddle of sweat, that guy. He's getting paid by Kansas. He's still getting paid by Notre Dame. Not a good coach. But people think he is. Why? Because he stood next to Belichick. Man, there's more information at our fingertips than there's ever been before. And if you are an NFL front office, you now know more about any prospective candidate than you've ever known about any candidate ever in anything. Uh, You can vet the hell out of these guys. You can sit them down and talk to them for two hours and find out what they know. Have them draw a bunch of stuff up on their whiteboard. But instead, Matt Patricia walks in with a pencil on his ear and goes, Hey guys, I know Bill. I know the hoodie. Hire me. Ridiculous. Sean McVay. He's like 35 years old. Comes in. Year one. Playoffs. Rams. Go after the young guy. Go after the guy who can coach the quarterback. All these defensive-minded Bill Belichick disciples don't work. Go out and get someone who can be a quarterback whisperer. Get somebody who can coach up. The franchise. If your quarterback's good, you win. Uh, We know that. I'm not breaking any news here. If the quarterback is good, you go to the playoffs. So why are we caring about defense? Why are we caring about scheming up that side of the ball? Why do we care about the Belichick disciple? Get the guy who knows quarterbacks. Coming up next, Ray Fittipaldo knows quarterbacks. We'll talk to him about Ben Roethlisberger's elbow injury. Everything else Mike Tomlin had to say at the press conference today. That's next. It's Crowley Show. This is the Adam Crowley Show. To pick against the Steelers is a sin. It's a sin that's written in the Bible. Don't you understand? On ESPN Pittsburgh <laughs> and the iHeartRadio app. Ben Roethlisberger's elbow hurts. 
Oh, no. Joining us now to discuss from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette is our friend Ray Fittipaldo. Ray, how are you today? I'm good, Adam. How are you? Doing all right, pal. So Ben Roethlisberger's elbow. A big deal? Not a big deal? When did it happen? I don't think so. Uh, as far as when it happens, I haven't been able to uh, figure that out yet. I have watched um, most of the game, and I haven't... Uh, seen a play where I, I thought it might have happened, but he got through the game okay, and I, I listened to his radio show today, and it wasn't mentioned, so um, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, he'll be good to go for Kansas City, but certainly something to keep an eye on this week as the uh, as the practices unfold here. Ray, Ben Roethlisberger's performance in Cleveland on Sunday was really bad, obviously, not breaking any news there. I'm concerned that we're seeing too much of that. It happened last year against the Jacksonville Jags early in the season with the five turnovers. He was not good the first eight games of the season. Then in the playoff game against Jacksonville, while he did put up a bunch of points and a bunch of yards, he also had two costly turnovers. Uh, Is this just the Ben we get, inconsistent now week to week and sometimes in game? Yeah, I mean, I'm not ready to, you know, make all kinds of judgments based off one game, even if you can go back um, to the playoff game and say it's two two games in a row now. Um, The things that I took away from from that game in in Cleveland, um, yeah, the weather conditions were were terrible. Um, But I think that was a game where if he simply just took care of the ball, um, was conservative, if they just punt all day, that Cleveland offense isn't going to drive downfield on them and win. So I think the Steelers could have won that game like 14 to 7, 14 to 10, something along those lines. And it just seemed like they were continue, continually trying to, you know, operate out of the shotgun and, and pass. And, you know, I, I think if they had to go back and do it over again, they, they might be a little bit more conservative. So, um, yeah, Ben has been inconsistent here the last couple of games if you go back to last season, but. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to turn it around. He's got too long of a track record um, to, for, for people to worry about one game here. I wouldn't be surprised, Adam, if he comes out and has a great game against the Chiefs on Sunday. Yeah, they seem to have their way with the Chiefs. That defense, not good at all. Plus, it's at home at Heinz Field. Ray Fittipaldo joining us from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. James Conner had a heck of a performance. Anything from the performance, aside from the fumble, Ray, that stuck out where you think maybe he needs to improve upon? No, I mean, the fumble, I mean, when I first saw the fumble, I was like, oh, man, he's got to protect the ball in that situation. But I went back. Miles Garrett got to him so quickly. I don't know if you're a running back, if you can can think that that guy's going to be there that quickly. So um, just poor execution on the backside there by, by the Steelers' offensive line. Um, yeah, James has to, has to have two hands on the ball there, but I don't really blame him a lot for that play. Um, the only other thing I would say about it is at one point in the second half, Adam, he was averaging like 6.8 yards per carry. And I think after the fumble, I think maybe he was just satisfied not to fumble, just get a couple of yards here and there. And you could sort of tell that he was, you know, he wasn't running with, with a reckless abandon that he was earlier in that game. So I think he'll learn how to deal with that. You know, it was a pretty pretty critical play in that game, and I'm, I'm sure he was bothered by it. But, you know, if there was one thing to maybe nitpick about his performance, I, I think it was a really good performance. But if there was one thing to nitpick, it was probably, you know, probably just his, his overall response to that play and, you know, what he did after that. 
I know that Mike Tomlin's track record is when he's got a hot back, use the hot back and make that guy the primary ball carrier and not to pull him out of the game. That being said, James Conner gets his first start in the league. He's playing really well. I would have liked to see maybe Steven Ridley thrown in there a little bit, mix it up with him in the early going, maybe then James Conner's fresh down the stretch. I'm worried about the mileage that's going to be put on this young man. Yeah, you'd you'd have to... Uh, take the mileage if you are going to be a feature back one day. But uh, in this circumstance, you don't know how long you're going to need him, and you don't know how things are going to play out. I, I would have liked to see the Steelers maybe go a little bit more running back by committee. Adam, the only time I would have wanted, I, I wanted to see Stephen Ridley in that game is if the coaches determined, like I just talked about, if James was a little bit um, tentative after that fumble. Up until that point, there's no way I was going to take him out of that game. I mean, he was running too well. He was uh, operating well as a receiver out of the backfield. He was doing a pretty good job on on the blitz pickups. Um, when a guy's hot like that, I'm sorry, I'm I'm just going to run with him. So, um, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. The first NFL start, but you know, you were at the training camp as much as I was, and they prepared James Conner for that exact situation that unfolded in Cleveland. Uh, if you watch the way they used him in the third preseason game, they, they weren't rotating backs then. Um, so, I, you know, I, their offense is built that way. They won a three down back, and I think those other guys are there, um, you know, just in case, you know, something happens. Um, so I don't have any problem with the way they used James on Sunday. The only thing is, if, you know, maybe in that fourth corner after that fumble, maybe a guy like Stephen Ridley, who's a vet, who's been around a little bit longer, Maybe he could have figured out a way to, to, to get that running game going when they needed it most because, you know, as you saw, the, the running game kind of disappeared late in that game when they really could have used it. Ray Fittipaldo joining us on the Crowley Show. Uh, I was irritated with the league with Al Riveron coming out and saying that they messed up on the Miles Garrett roughing the passer call, yet making no mention of the bouncing ball off of the Cleveland Brown face mask on the punt that would have changed the game uh, as well. Are the Steelers mad about it? I know Mike Tomlin referenced it today in the press conference. Yeah, I guess last those people in New York was was, was his comment. Um, I don't know how you missed that on the field, Adam. Um, I watched it um, slow motion on, on, on the NFL game pass. Um, when you have an angle like that um, the, the, on the TV broadcast and the ball is bouncing backwards like a punt does, I mean, the ball has really difficult spin on it to begin with when it's punted like that. So it is difficult to determine by video if it happened. I just don't know how you miss that type of a call in the field. I mean, there's like eight guys out there, and um, for not one of those guys to, to see what happened is really, um, you know, that's really discouraging. But, you know, to your point, this is, what, the second time in the last five games the Steelers have played that there's been a pretty critical um, call in the field or a replay review that hasn't gone their way. And, you know, one, of course, was, was a loss to the Patriots. And by the end of the season, this might be looking like a, a pretty big loss to the Steelers as well, even though it goes down in the books as a tie. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Ray Fittipaldo joining us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, Ray, from a defensive standpoint, I thought the Steelers did a lot of good things. 3.3 yards per carry allowed on the ground, if not for Tyrod Taylor scrambling, which does count, obviously, and you want to make sure that doesn't happen. He had the 20-yard touchdown scamper, but I thought the run defense, save for maybe a drive, was really good. 
Uh, I, I was overall encouraged by what we saw on D on Sunday. Yeah, I thought there was more good than bad, Adam, but that drive you referenced, the Steelers were were up 7 to nothing, and it got off on a really bad foot with a couple of um, penalties, including a dumb penalty by, by Ernie Burns there that you know set up the Browns in, in pretty decent field position. And then after that, it was all runs to go downfield um, you know, until they scored there. So that was a little bit discouraging, and uh, I don't think we talk about this enough. Um, yeah, the, the yards per carry average was good, but the Steelers are starting to get a reputation as a defense as one that can't deal well with mobile quarterbacks. Yeah. You go back to, to Blake Bortles last year in that playoff game, picking up um, first downs when they really needed it. Um, they, they just haven't done well with that in the last um, year or so, going back to last season. So that's something to keep an eye on. I know Joe Flacco's playing well, but you've got Lamar Jackson down there in Baltimore that they might have to deal with at some point. They're going to face other mobile quarterbacks this season. So, um, you know, they did okay, but, you know, the one discouraging thing for me was their inability to keep him in the pocket, and um, he just made too many plays with his legs in that game to, to keep drives going. And, yeah, I understand they didn't score, but they were getting decent field position and they were pinning the Steelers. So it just wasn't an overall good performance in terms of, of keeping Tyrod Taylor in the pocket. And this dovetails off of that. You have to be able to keep contained, not allow the quarterback to get outside the tackle box. But I thought largely, other than that, that the outside linebacker transition, the flip-flop, I thought that looked very good in Game 1. Yeah, TJ was terrific. I mean, he, he, when when there was a sack to be made, he made it. He got the guy on the ground. Uh, Bud Dupree uh, did well uh, as well. He, he got a lot of pressure. I think there was a total of of eight pressures for him, but he didn't get Tyron Taylor on the ground a couple of times when he had a shot. There was one play in particular I'm thinking where um, he kind of came in out of control and Taylor saw him at the last minute and then he was able to get a, a, a big chunk of yardage out of it. So, um, you know, if you listen to Keith Butler and Mike Tomlin, moving into that side was supposed to um, was supposed to negate those types of plays from Bud Dupree where the quarterback um, escapes. So, um, we'll have to keep an eye on that. But, you know, going against an undrafted free agent the way he was, um, I expected a good game out of him. I thought Bud had a good game. I think it would have been a great game if he would have gotten Taylor on his back a couple of more times. I think Sean Davis looks like a natural free safety. I was really impressed by what I saw from him yesterday or Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for a uh, defensive holding call on Terrell Evans, he would have had an interception. Um, that was actually a good call by the officials. One of the, few good calls, I thought, from that game. Evans did hold him up there, and um, Davis came in and, and got that pick. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Sean Davis talked in the locker room on Monday that he's very, very comfortable back there. Seems like it's his more natural position. Um, if you go back and look, you know, how many different spots he's played since he's been here. He started at slot corner um, the first five, six games of his rookie season, then he moved to strong safety, and now he's playing free safety. You know, it looks like he's finally found a home. Um, at least the Steelers feel like he's found a home. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's going to be good for the Steelers. And once Morgan Burnett gets healthy and Terrell Edmonds, um, you know, it, once he gets a little bit more season, I, I think the back end of that secondary um, can be pretty strong this year. I think Kansas City is a team, Ray, that the Steelers have had a lot of success against recently, even in the playoffs. But Alex Smith isn't there. I think the defense is bad. You don't have James Harrison anymore, who just totally wreaked havoc 
on the Kansas City Chiefs. I think things are a little bit different this time around. Uh, definitely a good test, though, on the defensive side. I'm excited to see how what they did in Cleveland translates against an offense that looks like, holy hell, they've got a lot of playmakers. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Steelers' offense, even though we talked about Ben at the top, I think the offense will be fine in this game because I do think it's a good matchup for the Steelers. And as you mentioned, the Chiefs, um, I think they're a little bit down on defense right now. But throw everything out the window about what the Steelers' defense did to the Chiefs the last couple of years because Alex Smith was a game manager, and he didn't throw the ball past 15, 20 yards down the field. Now you're facing a guy whose entire M.O. is throwing the ball down the field. So they're going to have to make that adjustment. Uh, Tyreek Hill had a great game against the Chargers. Uh, I think he had 169 yards receiving and two touchdowns. So it's going to be a tough matchup. They, As you mentioned, in addition to Tyreek Hill, they've got Travis Kelsey, although the Steelers have done a pretty good job against Kelsey in the past. They've done a great job against Hill. Hill hasn't had more than 30, 34 yards receiving Adam in any of the previous three games that the Steelers have played against him. So they've done a great job against them. We'll see if, it's, uh, if it makes a big difference with Mahomes throwing him the ball than Alex Smith. But um, I feel a lot better about this matchup from an offensive standpoint than I do a defensive standpoint, just because I don't exactly know um, what Mahomes is going to bring to the equation. Ray, good stuff as always, man. Thank you for taking the time, and we'll talk soon. All right, Adam. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, buddy. There he goes, Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. That station across the street, you know how I said yesterday they were talking about ties? Should they eliminate the tie? They're doing it again! They're doing it again! Talking about eliminating ties because, God forbid, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the black and gold, the six-time Super Bowl champions, possibly be inconvenienced by the thought of a tie. Oh, give me a friggin' break. Cry me a river. Oh, they tied. Oh, you got to change it because my Steelers got hurt. No, you don't. And what's the possible solution? What, you, you let them keep playing? Yeah, that's good for player safety. Let's add a fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth and tenth quarter, for God's sake. Coming up next on the show, we're going to talk about eliminating losses. Yes. Let's just get rid of L's. Every time the Steelers lose, find a way to make sure that you can't. There you go. Should interceptions be outruled in the NFL? Only if Ben throws them. Only if Ben throws. If you've survived cancer, I don't think you should be allowed to fumble. Yeah, you should be able to stop, play, pick up the ball, and resume. Like, all right, pause, everybody, right? Okay, go. You're good. Yep. Jesus. Coming up next, I'll tell you which teams have been eliminated from playoff contention already and why Ben may be more likely to lose you a game than win you one. It's Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces passing, I'm homebound. Should I go lower? Staring blankly ahead, just making my way, making a way through the crowd. On ESPN Pittsburgh. I'll get to why Ben Roethlisberger is more likely to lose you games than win you games now at this point in his career in a few minutes. Dale Lally will give his thoughts on that coming up at 6 o'clock. But first, I've already eliminated three teams from playoff contention in the NFL. The NFL is the best sport because going into the season, everyone thinks they've got a shot. The Browns are on hard knocks. They're getting bets to go to the AFC Championship game. People think, oh, the Brownies, they're going to be something for real. 
The Bills, they've got Josh Allen. Oh, they made the playoffs last year for the first time in forever. They're going to be a good football team. Hey, the Colts got Andrew Luck back. There's so many teams that talk themselves into being championship material in the offseason. A team that could win the whole damn thing. And I'm here to tell you there are three teams that aren't going to win it. I'm here to tell you I've already eliminated three teams from playoff contention, starting with the Buffalo Bills. They are the worst team in football. Their defense is atrocious. Joe Flacco, who hasn't thrown the ball past five yards in the last five years, diced him up with three touchdowns. Nate Peterman's 11 for 32 in his NFL career with seven interceptions. Hey, Pitt! That guy is starting over Josh Allen. Josh Allen needs some time. No, he doesn't. Uh, Let him play. He's got the arm talent. Nate Peterman, 11 for 32 with seven interceptions. If that doesn't do it for you, they were 2 for 15 on third downs. They averaged the paltry 3.8 yards per play. They had 153 total yards. Josh Allen will be the guy sooner than later. And he'll get mauled. The 2018 Bills have been eliminated from playoff contention. The Lions are also eliminated from playoff contention. They threw five interceptions against a team that didn't make the playoffs in 2017. They only had 39 yards rushing to go with that paltry running attack. They stink. They lost to a team that stinks. A team that was so bad that they got one of the best quarterbacks in the draft. Eliminated. Eliminated. Done. Don't have a chance. Not making the playoffs. Not winning the Super Bowl. Detroit, you're done. You're out. See ya. And Matt Patricia. You really want that guy being the CEO of your organization? You really want that guy... To lead your team to victory? You really think that guy can lead your team to victory? No. Eliminated. And finally, the Cleveland Browns. Yes, they didn't even lose, but they've been officially eliminated from playoff contention. I forgot to add this. For the Lions, they gave up 49 points at home and saw Fireman Ed pee all over their crappy stadium. Yeah, that'll eliminate you. As for the Browns, their quarterback threw 25 incompletions. They were called for 11 penalties. The game-winning field goal was blocked. They started an undrafted rookie free agent at left tackle. They've only won one game in their last 33 tries. The opponent turned the ball over six times, had 12 penalties, missed a game winner, and the Browns still couldn't win. They're officially eliminated. That's pretty bold of you to eliminate one of only 17 remaining undefeated teams in the NFL. They're finished. Answer the question, Tom. Are they in last place in the division? Uh, tied for last, yes. Yep. Eliminated. Steelers eliminated? No. Are they in last place in the division? They are. Ooh. But when you couple the Browns being in last place in the division with everything else I said... Okay, yeah, you're right. The Browns are done. Eliminated. They're toast. So there are three teams that we already know after week one they ain't doing it. Already, three teams. And next week, may we add the Oakland Raiders to the list? I need to see a little bit more from them. But they're knocking on the door. Ben Roethlisberger is the reason the Steelers are in the basement in the AFC North because he turned the ball over five freaking times. I went to work today. I did. I actually put some effort into the show. 
I did some numbers, math, calculations. How does Ben compare to other quarterbacks that are consistently called top five quarterbacks in the league? Well, in red zone completion percentage last year, Drew Brees, 66%. Carson Wentz, 63%. Rodgers, 62%. Brady, 58%. Brady was mediocre at it last year, but Ben, all the way down at 52% completion percentage in the red zone. It's no surprise that the Steelers were 18th in the league in red zone scoring percentage. That's a big deal. But last year wasn't the only year that he struggled in the red zone, and the Steelers struggled in the red zone. In 2016, they were 16th, then 13th, 19th, 16th, 12th, 17th, 15th, 22nd, 14th. That's an average of 15th in the league every year in touchdown percentage in the red zone. That doesn't sound very elite. Is that going to get better now at this point in his career? We talk all the time, Todd Haley, bad in the red zone. Bruce Arians, bad in the red zone. No, they're not. Ben is. Ben Roethlisberger's football teams don't punch the ball in enough. And they've lived with it. They've still scored some points. The last four years, they've been top ten a couple of times in points per game. So they've still found a way to score recently. But if Ben's going to be more turnover-prone than ever before, and the red zone numbers stay exactly where they've stayed, I think Ben's more likely to lose you games than he is to win games. Ben's the kind of guy who gets out of the pocket, throws the ball deep down the field, makes plays down the field, isn't afraid. He's got that gunslinger mentality. But as we saw in Game 1, that can also be a bad thing. You want there to be a constant somewhere. And the constant in New England is that they punch it in when they get in the red zone. The Patriots, the Saints, the Colts with Manning, Green Bay, they were always, when I went back to look, in the top five or at worst the top ten in red zone scoring consistently. So you can turn the ball over a bunch, but it's when you get down there, can you at least finish those drives off? Steelers haven't. Steelers can't. Ben Roethlisberger's a good quarterback. His offenses aren't good in the red zone, and points per game-wise, they're usually pedestrian. When people say Ben Roethlisberger is in the same class with some of those upper echelon guys, I laugh at it. Last year they were 8th in points per game, but the first half of the season they averaged 21 points per game. In 2016 they were 11th, 2015 they were 4th, and 2014 they were 7th. So they are in a good spot, but if you look at the last 10 years of Ben Roethlisberger, they're 13th in the league on average in points per game. Not terrible, but not what Breeze, Brady, Peyton, and Rodgers do. And yeah, those guys are the elite of the elite, but I always hear how Ben's in that group. He's not. He's next year. But he's not in that group. Each of those players has been an MVP or an Offensive Player of the Year. Ben hasn't. Point is, I think you can put a team on the back of any of those guys, and they can carry you no matter how bad their roster is. Some of those Colts defenses were ass. The Saints defense, when they won the Super Bowl, was ass. They took the ball away, but they stunk. Tom Brady's throwing to me and Tom and Brian for the last three years. They carry teams. Ben's never been a put-the-team-on-the-back-and-carry-him kind of guy. So this year, when I see him throw three interceptions, turn the ball over five times, and a tie against the Cleveland Browns, it makes me worry... Because I think the parts around him are pretty good. But defensively, I still don't know if they're there.
And don't tell me I'm overreacting because of one game. Don't tell me I'm the guy who said yesterday that you don't try to pick out trends from one game and fly with them. I'm not doing that. This is the last decade where Ben Roethlisberger's offenses have been largely average in scoring points. This year, they need him to be better than that. They need him to be the guy. They don't have Le'Veon Bell. How about you just don't turn the ball over? You go into Cleveland, you turn the ball over three times instead of five, you win that game. That's not even carrying the team. That's not losing the game. Find a way to not lose the game, at least. Meet me in the middle, Ben. Because you're used to the middle. Mediocrity. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. The station across the street, one of their hosts said, don't tell me Ben's washed because of one game. I'm not saying he's washed. I'm saying he's never been the guy that single-handedly takes you to the playoffs. So expecting him to be that guy now is silly. He needs to protect the football. He needs to let his playmakers put the ball in the damn end zone. Up next, why the NFL is right to call as many roughing the passer calls as they are. It's Crowley Show.